Welcome to What's in the Box, stories from the Sandbell Maxi House State Historic Site, where we discuss artifacts in the Historic Sites collection that are normally in storage or are a little harder to notice in the period rooms. I'm Caitlin Ammon. And I'm Amanda Reed. And once again, welcome to What's in the Box, stories from the Sandbell Maxi House State Historic Site. Hey Amanda, so new episode, new box I see. No obituaries or pieces of hair this month, right? Wait, well don't tell me. Let me let me just take the lid off here and... Oh look, pieces of wood and, and lots of envelopes. Maybe this week we should have called the episode, What's in the Envelopes in the Box? Well, anyway, do you want to tell me and all of our awesome listeners what we all have here today in the box? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Uh, So we have in front of us today different pieces from the site's architectural collection, including four samples from both maxi and blonde era floors, wallpaper samples, some with the added bonus of plaster, and other pieces from the architectural collection. Okay. So you keep talking about this architectural collection. Let's talk a little bit about that first and what we mean when we say an architectural collection. So, yeah, the architectural collection is one of the five different collections we manage at the Maxi House. The first one is the permanent collection. The permanent collection consists of most of the artifacts visitors see inside the house, like the furniture and art, down to the doilies on the table. Next, there is the education collection, Items that fall under the education collection at the Maxi House are items that the site purchases to help fill out the period rooms. For example, the site purchased new, more period-appropriate drapes for some of the rooms, and so these drapes would go into the education collection. The site's third and fourth collections are the consumptive use collection and the prop collection. Basically, the consumptive use collection contains all of the items that we sit out for visitors to use and handle. For example, we have all of the elements for a place setting at a table in the dining room that visitors can handle while they try to set a formal place setting correctly, or a record that we purchase to pass around when discussing the Victrola in the parlor. The prop collection is basically that. Props we use to flesh out the rooms for different occasions, like fake food or fake flowers. So, last but not least, we have the architectural collection. It consists of items that have come from the house's interior and exterior, and it is our way of documenting what different house elements looked like at different time periods. We have this collection because of the exterior renovation the house underwent in 2010 and 2011, and the current interior renovation going on right now. Most of these items tend to be representative of that particular element and help us document what the feature looked like, like the floor pieces. The floor pieces are small sections that were removed to show people in the future exactly what both the maxis and the longs flooring looked like in, say, the library, which we renovated last year to better represent the maxis time period. Alright, so if you haven't guessed it by now, we are going to be talking about the house's architectural history in today's show, which we thought would be a good topic because, as Amanda mentioned, we are currently in the midst of renovating the interior. Things such as the wallpaper, the floors, and redoing the woodwork to make it more appropriate to the late 1800s and early 1900s instead of, like, the 1940s or so. 
This whole project started in 2011 when the site began working on a new interpretive master plan. When finished, it was clear that the site needed a new historic furnishings plan to match the new interpretive master plan. Okay, look, we're, we're not going to throw too much museum jargon out there, but some of these documents are core site documents that help us do what we do here. An interpretive master plan helps to guide the interpretation of the site, setting out things like the themes that help us best tell the site's stories. A historic furnishings plan lays out how the rooms in the historic house should be decorated and furnished, based on research about the time period, how the room was used, and research on the house itself. But before we get ahead of ourselves and dive into this whole interior renovation work we're doing, let's back up and talk about how the Maxi House was built. Yeah, so, well, step one for everything is money, right? When the Maxis moved to Texas from Kentucky in 1857, they purchased the property the house sits on today, but they didn't start building the house until sometime in 1868. The Civil War played a large part in the delay of the house being built, but the other reason was lack of money. The story that we have for why the Maxis were able to finally build their dream house has to do with Maxi finally earning the money to do so. Now, after the Civil War, Maxie was restricted on what he could do in regards to politics and practicing law. Oh, by the way, before the Civil War, Maxie was trying to enter Texas politics and was a lawyer. The restrictions on his ability to practice law were put in place by Texas Provisional Governor A.J. Hamilton. As you can imagine, not being able to practice law really hurts a lawyer's business. Hmm. Maxey eventually got President Johnson to override Governor Hamilton's restrictions on lawyers in early 1866, but it seems like he was already involved with some cases, even with the, the restrictions in place. These first cases dealt with the confiscation of privately owned cotton by United States Treasury agents when they were confiscating cotton that belonged to the Confederate government. The private citizens wanted to be paid by the United States government for their, their cotton, and Maxie was involved in the cases to get those payments. It is said the fees that came from these cases, along with the fees he earned from other cases he undertook, are what allowed Merilda and him to finally build their home. So step one, money, check. Step two, what should the house look like? Well, in our previous episode on Marilda Maxi, we mentioned two people who influenced the way Marilda decorated the house and grounds, Andrew Jackson Downing and Charles Eastlake. Downing's influence can be seen on the house's exterior, too. The Maxi house is an example of an Italianate-style home, an architectural style that Downing is given credit for helping to popularize in America. But another architect should also be mentioned in addition to Downing for helping to popularize the ideas and styles of the picturesque architecture like the Italian 8 style. This architect's name is Alexander Jackson Davis. He published his first pattern book, Rural Residences, in 1837, which contained plans for picturesque, romantic houses. A pattern book was a book with drawings and plans for houses that also contained information on the theory of architecture that that architect was using in his plans and ideas on how to decorate the house and grounds so that everything flowed together. The idea of the house and grounds flowing together and being in harmony was a big thing for the picturesque styles of architecture and a big thing to both Davis and Downing. Davis's book did okay, but economic issues in America kind of killed his plans for more pattern books. 
It was the teaming up of Davis and Downing, however, that led to both men having a large influence on picturesque architectural styles and the way Americans decided to build their homes. Andrew Jackson Downing's book, Cottage Residences, published in 1842, became a popular pattern book that featured architectural designs in the Italianate style. Alexander Jackson Davis helped Downing in the creation of this book by contributing house designs and preparing the drawings of the houses. These two, basically power players in regards to Italianate architecture, continued to work together on Downing's later book, The Architecture of Country Houses, and Downing's journal, The Horticulturalist. So, we know Marilda really likes this new picturesque style of architecture that we now call Italianate, and she's all for the ideas being espoused by Downing and Davis in regards to architecture and what they, how they said it could influence one's families and the nation overall. So now what? Well, if you're the Maxis, you hire an architect from Louisville, Kentucky to design your new home, and the new design includes elements from the different design books and pattern books you like, and you get the building. According to an oral history conducted with Alice Fairfax Stone after she donated the Maxie House as a museum to the Lamar County Historical Society, some of the lumber for the house came from Paris, while the rest of it was imported from other parts of the country. All the exterior siding is pine. When restoring the house's exterior in 2010 and 2011, the project architects and contractors made sure to get wood similar to the old-growth pine used to originally build the house. All the carvings on the house were made in New Orleans. They were brought to Jefferson by boat and then transported from there to Paris in wagons. Mrs. Stone goes on to say that the plaster for the walls was worked and reworked in beds on the property, and all the bricks used were handmade. One of her interesting statements involves the house's main staircase. It was supposed to have been a curving staircase, according to the architect's plans, but Mrs. Stone says that the local labor could not do that at the time. The end result, or what we think was the end result, was a main house with a separate kitchen that was connected via a covered breezeway. But, like most houses, the Maxi house underwent some changes while the Maxis and Longs lived here. The first addition was that of a bathroom to the second floor off of what became the Longs bedroom or the Southwest bedroom around 1895. Sometime between 1902 and 1908, the house's north-to-south oriented kitchen and a breezeway combination was changed to another room or rooms, since we aren't exactly sure, and a porch running east to west. In addition, a second bathroom was installed off of the northwest bath bedroom. The house attained its final appearance, and the one you see today, with a 1911 to 1912 renovation completed by the Longs. Just as there were changes to the house's overall exterior appearance, the Maxis and Longs made changes to the interior over the almost 100 years of combined occupation of the house. Both families' interior decoration styles were very representative of the time period in which they lived. The woodwork has always been painted in the house, and from what we can tell, both the Maxis and Longs used wallpaper on the walls. There is no better way to say it than the Maxis' interior was very Victorian. The woodwork in the library, the downstairs hallway, and the dining room 
was painted to look like richer woods than the pine the Maxis originally used inside the home. The pine flooring also seems to all have been painted. Upstairs, the woodwork was still painted, but in plainer colors while the pine floor was left unfinished. One thing about the Maxis was that it seems like they were never done working on the house's interior. Whether it was freshening up paint jobs or hanging a new paper, the house was a continual project. The same goes for when they were purchasing furniture. It seems like they furnished the rooms they had to first, buying all of the necessary furniture pieces, and they worried about buying the rest of the furniture they wanted when they had the means to do so. Having a home of their own was always an important goal for the Maxis, and having a finished home where they could finally relax and spend time together in old age was something Sam wanted dearly and talked about in letters with Marilda. So in contrast to the Maxis' richly painted wooden wallpaper, the Longs went for a more, I guess, subdued look when they redecorated the home. Layla's decorative influence was the newer interest in America's colonial period, and she took her cues from the colonial revival style. This eventually led to all the woodwork in the house being painted white, and new wallpaper being hung to match this new decorative style and, and what Layla liked. The Longs also installed a hardwood floor of maple, or maple and oak, throughout the first floor, depending on which room you're in. So, we've talked about what the Maxis and Longs have done in regards to the house, but what are we doing right now? Well, we are taking the interior of the house and making it look more like it would in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Last year, we transformed the library that was more representative of the Longs' residence into a room more representative of the Maxis' residence. We also took the two southern bedrooms and redid them to be more representative of when the Longs first moved into the house and gained ownership not too long afterwards. During that process, we learned through the removal of paint from the southeast bedroom's mantle that it was actually a maple mantle. And we did not know that until all of the paint layers were removed and it was a serious surprise. Right now, we are working on the dining room, the hallways and stairwell and the parlor. The dining room and the hallways and stairwell will represent the Maxi's time period, while the parlor will represent the Long's time period. All this work has included hanging new wallpaper, repainting all of the woodwork, and redoing the floors. In the library and dining room, room we removed the Long-era floors to expose the original Maxi floors, which we were able to fix and refinish. We mentioned that the Maxis painted the pine woodwork to resemble other woods, that's one thing that we're also doing. The library currently has a faux mahogany finish, while the downstairs hallway, stairs, and dining room will be getting faux mahogany and walnut finishes. We're doing a lot of work on the interior, but you might be asking, well, how do you know what you should be doing? Or even, how do you know some of this stuff about the house? Well, we have turned to a number of sources to learn about the house's history and to guide our interior renovations. First off, we have letters between Sam and Marilda, and also between other family matters, where the couple discusses what is going on in regards to the house and property. We know when the Maxis moved into the house because of a letter written by Marilda to Sam in December of 1868. Sam was not in Paris when the family moved in, but Marilda wrote, We moved today. I'm sitting in my room before a roaring fire and wishing for you. 
Now, unfortunately, we don't have as many letters, particularly about the house, when it comes to the Longs. The few we do have to guide us come from around when the couple was married in 1894 and Layla was in New York City purchasing items to furnish their two future rooms in the Maxi House. In addition to these letters, we also have historic photographs of the house, both exterior and interior shots. We have a lot more exterior shots, though. In fact, it is because we have an excellent interior photo of the library from a about 1900, that we were able to renovate the library and take it back to the Maxi's time period. That photo alone helped to guide the way the furniture is now placed in the room and even things like the rugs we purchased to place in there. Because of that photo, we also moved the mounted longhorns, which used to hang in the sunroom, into the library because you can clearly see the uh, longhorns hanging over Maxi's desk um, which, by the way, his desk has a correspond corresponding horn chair. Yeah, a chair made from horns. If you haven't seen it yet, it's pretty cool. I know we have this historic photograph of the library on Facebook somewhere, uh, so you can go there to check it out to see the Maxi's original horn chair, and if you make it to the site at some point, you can see the horn chair that we were able to find that kind of looks like Maxi's horn chair. Along with the letters and historic photos, one group of documents we turn to to try and understand how the house has changed over time are historic Sanborn maps. The Sanborn Company produced fire insurance maps for cities that allowed insurance companies to then assess the risk of insuring certain buildings and how much they should charge for policies. The Sanborn maps were a detailed, standardized set of maps that documented the shape of every building in a city, what it was used for, and what materials were used to build it. The map data would be updated every so often, basically documenting any changes in the city's buildings over time. We have found the Maxi House on eight different Sanborn maps as early as 1897 and as late as 1950. Using the maps, we can track how the Maxi House changed and match that up to other information we have, like the letters, and the pictures, and the oral histories. The artifacts in the house are helpful, too. Obviously, these are things that the Maxis and Longs bought for themselves to have in their home. They are direct representations of how both families decorated their homes and the different styles they liked. As Caitlin mentioned, the historic photo of the library shows rugs in the library, and it was extremely helpful in picking new rugs, but we also have several rugs in the permanent collection that were also taken into consideration. This doesn't deal too much with the house's architecture, but it does deal with the house's interior decoration. We also have a lambrequin in the permanent collection that is original to the Maxi time period. A lambrequin is a piece of drapery hung over the top of a door or a window or on a mantle. Based on the piece's measurements, though, we determined this lambrequin was probably used over the windows. We have since had four reproductions of that lambrequin made to hang over the windows in the library and dining room. Because the original Maxi lambrequin was green, it also influenced the wallpaper choice in the dining room because we suspect that this original green lambrequin was for the dining room. We also used the house itself to guide us in this restoration process. One of the first steps we undertook was a historic paint and finish analysis. 
We called in a specialist who, by carefully removing layers and layers of paint, was able to decipher all the different colors the woodwork was painted in the different rooms over the years. The expert was able to expose some of the house's original paint in larger areas in rooms such as the library and dining room, so we could get a good idea of what the faux graining pattern was in those rooms. On a side note, there is one panel on the door from the library to the dining room that is the actual original maxi paint, so that visitors to the house can compare the maxi's original paint to the new faux graining paint job that we did in the room. We will have similar exposed panels in the dining room when that room is complete. We learned a lot about the house and what it looked like during the Maxi's time because of this paint analysis. We also learned some things while doing the actual work. There was no way to know what color the Maxi's original floor was until the Long's floor was removed, or as Amanda mentioned earlier, that the southeast bedroom mantle was maple until all of the paint was removed. One of the coolest things we learned while working on the library was what color the Maxi's wallpaper was in that room. Pieces of the original Maxi wallpaper were still behind the built-in bookcases that the Longs had installed at a later date. We discovered these original pieces of wallpaper when we removed the bookcases and learned that the Maxi's actually hung a cloth-like wallpaper in the library and then they painted it. By finding those original wallpaper pieces, we were able to hang a similar kind of wallpaper that we could then paint and paint in a color that was very similar, similar to what the Maxis would have used. So there you have it. Some history on the house itself and a little bit of information about what we are currently doing. If you haven't been to the site in a while, it will definitely look very different very soon. Thank you for turning, tuning in today, and we hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have time, we would love it if you could leave a review on iTunes, and if you do, thanks so much in advance. The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod and is licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can hear more from Kevin McLeod at www.incompetech.com. If you want to learn more about the Sandbell Maxi House State Historic Site, you can visit us at our website, www.visitsambellmaxihouse.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash visitsambellmaxihouse. You can also find us on Instagram at sbmaxihouse, and pictures of the artifact we discussed today will be posted on both our Facebook page and Instagram, so make sure to check them out. Another note, pictures of all of these renovation projects we're doing are also on Facebook and Instagram. So if you want to see some things that we talked about in today's podcast, like the new paint jobs and wallpaper, check them out on our Facebook and Instagram page. The Sandbell Maxi House is a Texas Historical Commission property. The Texas Historical Commission is the state agency for historic preservation. It saves the real places that tell the real stories of Texas. If you would like to learn more about the Texas Historical Commission, please visit www.thc.texas.gov. Thanks for listening, and until next time.